My sister Nell died in December 2004. She was 46, the same age that I am now. She'd had cancer since 2015, but I didn't think that she would die. She couldn't die. She was my older sister. And also her oncologist had told us just days before that her prognosis was really good, that she had five, maybe 10 years to live. 10 days later, I was in a hospital room with her and my father when a consultant knelt down by her bed and told her that she had a day to live, a day. I stood by my sister's bed and I was with her as death came into the room and did its thing. Death took Nell away from me. I had really wanted to stand in the way of death, to block it from entering the room, to tell death to stop, to go away, because I'm not ready for you to take her from me now. But death, when it comes, is unstoppable. Nell's death completely undid me. My bright world turned dark. The pain was physical, emotional, spiritual. I felt completely ripped open, sometimes incapable of speech, although often what, what I really wanted to do was just lie on the floor and scream. I've got five children, so I knew that I wouldn't take my own life, but I often fantasised about vanishing into the place I'd come from before I was born and finding my sister there. We had experienced grief together before. When I was 16, our mother was left profoundly brain damaged in an accident. She was in a coma for four months, and when she woke up, she was incapable of walking or talking or looking after herself or ever speaking my name again. She remained in that state for 22 years, and I, so I thought I would kind of knew grief uh, when she died in 2013, when she was 75. But Nell's death was much, much more agonising. The pain of it was sharper, like a golden dagger pushed into the soft part of my neck over and over when I thought about her, or when I thought about my own life without her in it. The grief was violent. It was like a dragon breathing fire as it ripped me open, or it was a minotaur dripping and breathing in a dark corridor, waiting to terrify me when I was just trying to be normal. It was poison running through my veins. How are you, kind friends often said to me, and I didn't really know how to tell them the truth, because the truth was that I was heartbroken, demented, bereft, insane, and very, very angry. So instead I just said, I'm fine, I'm completely fine. And they would often tell me that they could not imagine what I was going through. Language, I realised after Nell died, was failing me every time I tried to speak. So instead, I started to write. I didn't know how to manifest this pain in my life because society doesn't want heartbroken, demented, bereft, insane and very, very angry people walking around. Although, believe me, there are many, many, many of us all around you since the people that we love are dying all the time. And in the last two years, the presence of death around us all has gained a terrible new momentum. The pandemic, and most recently the war in Ukraine, is giving us all a kind of collective, emotional, and in some cases, literal experience of death. Often we don't have the language to express the enormity of grief. 
I rang a bereavement support group and they pointed me in the direction of some downloadable notelets. I didn't want to download anything. I wanted to bury myself alive with a golden chariot or send a flaming ship out into the middle of an ocean. I needed actions that matched the enormity of my feelings because there was a cathedral in collapsing inside my soul every day and I wanted to know how to express that. This made me think a lot about what we reach for to find comfort or bravery or where we go when life is frightening. The thing that I always turn to is horses because they played a huge role in mine and Nell's lives together. They represent a kind of freedom and bravery to me. And in the weeks after Nell's death, the place I could make sense of myself and my own life was outside on my horse. I could be heroic there and I could be brave. I could also scream and cry and turn snotty and look wild and my horse wouldn't judge me. Um, I could gallop around and I could terrify myself and that kind of made my heart race, which made me feel, you know, more alive. The other place that I found a kind of solace was in poetry. In Gilgamesh, perhaps the oldest poem in the world, I read that death lives in the house where my bed is and wherever I set my feet, there death is. And I found that really consoling since wherever I set my feet, death was there too. So I kind of knew that I wasn't alone when I read Gilgamesh. The older the poetry that I read, the better that I understood these massive difficult feelings which were going on inside me all the time, even when I was just kind of making cheese sauce for a lasagna or ripping wet washing from the drum of the washing machine. They, they, these were feelings that men and women like you and I have been experiencing since the beginning of time. Our society, I think, struggles to, pro to provide us with the language of grief in everyday life. Remember that phrase that people have said to me so, so often, I cannot begin to imagine what you're going through. But I realised that writers in the Middle Ages had all the words for loss. Pearl, Gawain and the Green Knight, Beowulf, Lamort d'Arthur, are completely full of the images of loss and death and how we survive and endure when we're the ones left alive and those that we love are dead. And in this poetry, I also found a meaning for what Nell's life, what Nell's death was doing to me, which was sending me out on a quest. Learning to live without her was a grail that I was now looking for. Losing someone that you love very much and who you're closer to than maybe anybody else alive is a really, really lonely process. No one can feel what you have to feel but you. And the loss of my sister was also like a kind of severing off of myself from the past. Nell was the person that I grew up with. So as little children, we learned to talk lying in twin beds beside each other. We shared the same bath water, we shared the same toothbrush, we wore the same knickers, we fought over the same toys. When she died, I wasn't really sure who I would become, since the version of the person I had been to her went with her and death when they exited that hospital room together and left me there. I can't be Nell's younger sister to anybody else. But what also really amazed me was that alongside this feeling <clears throat> of the hopeless heartbreak of knowing I would never see Nell alive again, 
was a strange, urgent, fizzing feeling of life and colour, which was moving and moving and moving somewhere deep inside me that I, I just couldn't ignore. Because while grief floored me, it also, also made me feel more alive than ever before. There were moments when it was as if a kind of multicoloured film, a bit like a kaleidoscope of vivid light, had been put over my life. Grief I was beginning to learn during this time wasn't the dark, muted, quietened muffle it's often described as, but a strange alchemy of violently colliding colours which represented all the big feelings I had inside me. And poetry, that old poetry, the Anglo-Saxon poetry, the medieval poetry, was, was the place where I found the words that I'd been looking for to express myself. I started to realise that the forest of Greece was a place that I had to get through, past that dragon, evading the Minotaur, and escaping from the monsters that seemed to be around me all the time in the aftermath of Nell's death. And in my head, I started to spend longer and longer with the knights that I was reading about who had met in medieval poetry. Galahad, Gawain, Arthur Pendragon, Lancelot, even saying their names just makes me feel better now. Rather than asking me to download leaflets or telling me that my grief was unimaginable, I felt that they were showing me the way into the future. They had left the security of the court with its roaring fires and its long banquet table and its jesters and musicians and the beautiful women. And they had gone out alone on a quest to test themselves in the same way that I was being tested by grief. When I rode out into the fields around my house or even walked down the streets when I went to buy food in the small town near where I live, I sometimes imagined the knights with me. They were a symbol of something beautiful and courageous in the future that I could believe in. So often, all I had wanted to do was to kind of reach right backwards to the time and place where my sister was last alive. But that was a place that I could never, ever, ever get to again. So thinking of the night helped me to propel my life forward. They also, and this is really important, helped me to see that grief could, if I cho chose it to be, could be an intensely creative act. When somebody that we love dies, we have an opportunity to create change and to evolve. We're left with the life that we don't want because the person that we love is dead. But the fact is that it is the only life that we have. Grief is acutely painful, but we can also use it as something beautiful, as the impetus to create a life that's more vivid because of our experience of having become acquainted with death, not despite it. And the fact is that in our, in our lifetime, we will all be completely changed by death. We will all lose people that we love, who that we thought that we couldn't possibly live with, without. I did not think that I could live without Nell. And this, is, this, this sense of loss is an absolutely inescapable fact of life. And society might not have the language to help us navigate this, but as individuals, we can find our own way of getting through it. Horses were where I found this, but the more I observe other people and the more time that passes since Nell died, the more I see and learn about the beautiful ways that we learn to heal through mourning and the beautiful places that we find comfort. 
since his daughter, my sister, died, my father has played his guitar and sung every day and is now singing at open mic sessions. And I know that this is an expression of both the way he misses Nell and his love for her. I also see the teen teenage boy who's a friend of my son's who shapes the grief for a friend of theirs killed last summer on a motorbike by sitting meditating on the riverbank where they fish together. The mother who lost a child to meningitis setting up a charity which will help hundreds and hundreds of other children. The friend who's more moving forward from her partner's death by learning to embroider beautiful multicolored tapestries and teaching other people to do the same. The list goes on because there are so many different ways that grief and death teaches us new ways to live. Just last week, two friends of mine died within a few days of one another after illness. They were both, uh, they were a married couple and they were in their 80s and 90s and they had had great lives with children and grandchildren. Um, and so, you know, their lives were there to be celebrated, but their death made me feel real sorrow again. And it reminded me, it reminded me so much of the aftermath of Nell's death and it reminded me again and again and again that death, the death of the people that we love, is a challenge that we must face repeatedly. This is really, really sad. It makes it makes me cry. I, I almost feel like crying now just saying this. But I also find real solace in the idea that a good life, a rich life, a vivid life might be the one in which we are like those knights called out on our own quest challenge again and again and again to reimagine and recreate our lives after great loss. And I like the thought that if you ask Gawain, Gawain and the Green Knight, whether his life had been more meaning, had had, had more meaning in the safety of court or out alone there as he rode towards the Green Knight's castle, I think that he would tell you that he, mo he felt most alive out there on his quest. I chose my knights and their poetry to take me across the plains of loss because they were the symbols that made the greatest sense to me. I wonder, what would you choose? <laughs>